guys, we're so glad you're tuning into the Apex Students Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Apex Students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. Hello, and thank you for tuning into the Apex Students Podcast. We had a couple of technical difficulties last night as we were recording, so we only got about half of the message. So I'm just going to give you some of the intro stuff here on my mic by myself in this room. So uh, bear with me as we get into what we're talking about tonight. So thank you for, for listening to the podcast. I know we have listeners all over the world, which is really cool. So thank you for listening. Last night, we started talking about... Um, gaming consoles. We had a little bit of discussion in the room about Xbox or PlayStation, and uh, I'm recognizing PC being the master race of gaming, um, and I know that because I get destroyed every time a game goes cross-platform because the PC players are always so much better than me. Um, some people did point out that the Wii is great, and I guess that might be true for some people. <laughs> I have um, Right now, I'm an Xbox person, so I'm definitely an Xbox player, but I started out on PlayStation, so I definitely see both sides of this argument. Um, some people in the room are bringing up the exclusive games that PlayStation has, and um, that's definitely true, but Xbox has Halo, so we have some exclusives as well. Um, I Like I said, I play Xbox now, but I remember that Christmas that I got my PS1. I remember that moment and telling my parents, this is the best Christmas ever. And then a couple years later, I got my PS2. Uh, this is the best Christmas ever. And uh, I recognized that getting those in part was because my mom wanted to play Frogger. But they were my gifts, and I was very excited about my gaming systems. A few years after that, I got my first iPod, which is um, which is eye-opening to some people listening because uh, if you are under a certain age, you are maybe don't even know what an iPod was. I think maybe you probably know at least, but an iPod is how we listen to music because we did not have streamable music on our phones. And uh, unless you were on hold, that was the only way we were going to get music on your phone. And uh, so at the time, I needed an iPod so I can listen to music on my school bus ride or in my room, that kind of stuff. So I got an iPod. Now, my dad was really into the surprise factor, and I'd been asking for an iPod for months, and my parents were usually good, so I kind of expected that I'd get my this one big gift, and they had this one present that they waited until last. They made me wait to open it last, and I think that's a, a common move among parents. The thing was, when I got to this last present, it was big. Like It was like a foot big. It was really heavy, and I was like, oh, well, maybe I'm not getting an iPod, but I knew my dad well enough to be suspicious. And so when I opened it up, sure enough, it was an iPod, Uh, but not just an iPod. Also, it was in a big box with a jug of vinegar to weigh it down. My dad just went into the kitchen, found whatever he could find to put it in and weigh it down. But I I did have a suspicion. Nobody was fooling me. And I I think as we get close to this Christmas time, it's important to think about like why we give presents on Christmas. Like, where does that come from? Where are these traditions coming from? And uh, some of you listening are probably familiar with the Christ-centered Christmas story. So like you, Christmas is about the birth of Jesus for you. So you may be familiar enough with the story to know the answer. And um, the answer is that when Jesus was born, these wise men brought gifts to celebrate Jesus's birth. So we celebrate Jesus's birth by giving gifts as well. So these wise men were actually the first people to celebrate Christmas that were not at the birth of Jesus. And some of you are saying, what? Not at the birth of Jesus, not at the manger scene, because you have at your grandma's house, this figurines set up where you have the fresh baby Jesus, you have Mary and you have Joseph and you have shepherds and angels and camels and three wise men. But I'm sorry to ruin your Christmas, 
But the actual Bible tells us that the wise men left when Jesus was born. They left to come find him when Jesus was born. And he they had a, a, a hundreds of miles of journey. So it was going to take a long time for them to get there. So if you'd like to make your uh, little figurine set a little bit more um, correct, what you can do is go take the, the wise men, pick up the three wise men from the manger scene and say, grandma, don't bother me. And you run into the bathroom and put them in there. Or probably more accurately, go to your neighbor's bathroom <laughs> and say, neighbor, don't bother me. And just put the wise men in their bathroom and then go back and have your uh, open your Christmas gifts. Because that'll be a little more, more correct to when Jesus was born. By the time the wise men would have got there, they probably would have been out of the manger. Totally different scenario. And uh, it wasn't quite as we picture it because of those figurines. There's actually quite a few misconceptions about these wise men. And uh, I think that a lot of them are rooted in this famous song that you might know. And it goes, we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse afar. Field and fountain, more mountain, something like that. Following yonder star. So we have... In this song, we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar. So three things, just in that one line, three things are historically inaccurate. And um, I'd like to point them out to you. First, we see uh, three kings. Now, three is probably not true. Like we have three gifts. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we assume there were three. But it's likely that there were far more than that because they came and spoke with the king. They came and have a, had a meeting with King Herod and King Herod was very upset that they were looking for Jesus. And I would contend that three random dudes would not have been able to get a meeting with the king, let alone the king be upset that they were looking for Jesus. So I think the way that I read it, it seems to me it would have to be a whole herd of wise people uh, for, for the king to even notice, let alone take a meeting, let alone even care that these wise people were coming through. The second thing is that they weren't kings. We three kings, they were not kings. They were wise men. Um, you might hear the word magi. Specifically, they were astrologers. So they studied prophecies and they looked at the stars to interpret those prophecies and tell the future. Uh, and we'll come back to that later tonight, later in this talk, but um, they were definitely not kings. So the song can be a little bit misleading. And third, uh, the third thing the song gets wrong is we don't know exactly where they came from. Um, they could, we said that, like the Orient is kind of vague, but it does point a specific direction and, and they could have been from Babylon or Persia or even India. So for the song to be specific, I think it's presumptuous and a little bit misleading. So this song has taught us some things that are incorrect about the wise men. There was a man named Matthew, and he was recording the events at this time, and he was hearing people talk about things that happened that lived through these things, and he was writing them down so that we could have them later. And so here's what we know about the wise men from this historical record. This is what it says. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And this is super interesting because they're referencing a prophecy in Malachi that, um, that said the Savior is going to be born in this particular town, which is the city that Jesus was born in. This is what it says. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. And for 
For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. And as I was reading this, uh, as we were in service last night, one of my wonderful friends, his name's Freddie, he said, liar. And he was correct. (laughs) This is not King Herod's plan. After this interview, the wise men went their way and a star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. I think that by looking at the way that the wise men responded to Jesus, we can actually learn a thing or two. I think that we can learn from the way they responded to the Messiah being born about how we should be responding to God and what he's doing. So I've got three things the wise men did that we can learn about. I'm going to refer to us as wise folks to be a little more gender inclusive. So three things. First of all, wise folks look up. Again, these wise men were not kings. They were astrologers. So, you know, like the horoscopes you can find on Instagram, but your mom says they're demonic, so don't do that. Or if you're old, um, they're in the newspaper every day. You could read your by your sign. You have a, a star sign and you can, you know, tell what your day is going to be like because of the newspaper. And uh, that's what these people did professionally. They would try to tell the future by looking at the stars. And I'm only kind of joking about your mom thinking they're demonic. Like God has laid out an instruction for us. And one of those instructions is to stop trying to predict the future. Even in olden times, people were doing this and we keep trying to do it as well. And it's one of the many ways that we try to control our lives. We want to know what's going to happen. We want to know what's going to happen in our lives so that we can have some control. We are grasping for control of our lives. But the whole message of God is that we have to give up control. We cannot have control. That's why God has a problem with this stuff. He's saying, quit grasping at control and let me have control of your life. And that's what's really amazing about this, that we have these astrologers that are specializing in something evil, not priests, they're not pastors, they're not elders or deacons. (laughs) These people were astrologers specializing in something evil, something that God has directly forbidden, but God still uses them to worship Jesus when he's born. God is all about redeeming what is evil for his good. So when God spoke to the wise men, They were ready to look up. They were ready to listen, to focus on God, to listen to his voice and to hear for his direction. And that's something that we should be doing as well. We should be ready to hear his voice. And I'm going to tune us back into what happened live at Apex last night to talk about how we should look up. So when God spoke to the wise men, they were ready to look up. They quite literally followed a star from their home all the way to Jesus. So to focus on God and to listen to his voice and his direction. That's what these wise men did. did. And I think that that's what we're called to do as to be wise folks in ourselves. <laughs> Look up, listen to God's voice. We are really good at not looking up. We, we specialize in looking anywhere but up. I do it, definitely. I'm really good at what they call navel gazing. So like looking at myself. Um, really good at looking at the ways that, that I can do things, the ways that I'm great. Like I, I, I really struggle with looking inwardly, 
trying to control my life for myself in my own power. We are very good at looking down um, and not just at our phones, but at anything that will distract us. Anything that will, that will entertain me and give me a little bit of pleasure, we're really good at looking down. We're also good at looking around and uh, like looking at what other people have that we don't have, which is just like a sideways way of looking inward. <laughs> just another way of looking at yourself and focusing on what you don't have. We're really good at looking everywhere but up. And you can't always change your circumstances, but you can always change your focus. Your focus is what we're talking here. So, so like it may be easy to look down or look around when it, things aren't going our way, but you cannot always change the things around you, but you can always change your focus and your focus forms your feelings. So ask yourself some questions and be honest. As we move into Christmas time, this is a very special time of year, where is your focus? Where do you spend your focus? Where do you spend, what do you think about the most? Are you focused on presents? Are you focused on yourself? Are you obsessing over this family gathering or a family drama that will inevitably happen? Are you only thinking about having a white Christmas? Some of us think about snow that much. Or are you focused? Are you focused on the miracle of Jesus' birth? And that like gets a little redundant. When we get to Christmas, it seems like every time we're in church, it's like, are you the reason for the season? Yes, that is, that is because we need that much reminding. I need that much reminding to spend my Christmas time thinking about Jesus and celebrating his birth. Wise folks look up. Wise folks also give gifts. Wise folks give gifts. So you might know the gifts that the, the wise men brought to Jesus. You may have been familiar before I read it there. They brought gold, frankincense, but wait, there's myrrh. <laughs> you can use that one. You can use that. It was a good one. It was good. <laughs> so listen, gold, frankincense, and myrrh are ridiculous gifts for a child. Like they could have brought a toy fire truck, something that makes animal sounds, but instead they brought, what they brought was um, a gold bar, a perfume, and preservatives. <laughs> like this is nothing that a, a newborn child is interested in. So uh, looking back, knowing what we know now, as we look back on the significance that this was, like this was the Messiah being born, what we know about Jesus now, we know that those three gifts represented some really cool stuff. So stay in tune with me as I do this. Okay. So Jesus is the culmination of three roles. We see, we see these like three different ways that we connect with God. We connect with God through kings, priests, and prophets. That's kind of how God spoke and how he led. Jesus is the ultimate king, the ultimate priest, and the ultimate prophet. Really cool theology there. You're going to see that all over, all over God's word, all over the place. Really interesting. And so as we look at these three gifts, they um, kind of correspond to these three offices. So first we see gold, which is the gift of royalty. So that represents Jesus as the king. We see frankincense, which that word is not familiar to us, but it was an incense that they burned in the temple to make the temple smell good. And it was a way to worship with your nose, which I think is really awesome. <laughs> it was a way to worship through smell. That's like a real thing that some churches still do today. Frankincense was a perfume. So that represented Jesus as the ultimate priest. And then we have myrrh, which I think is really interesting because myrrh is an embalming spice, which means they used it to treat dead bodies <laughs> for burial, which is like really morbid and scary. But from the very beginning, from Jesus's birth, we're already getting hints for his death. So this myrrh represents Jesus's sacrifice. It represents 
countless fulfilled prophecies, Jesus being the ultimate mouthpiece for what God is trying to do. So this represents Jesus as prophet. Can I tell you about um, one of my best gifts ever? This was um, probably my shining Valentine's Day in my entire career as a boyfriend. So maybe Sam would say I've done better since, but this was a really good one. Sam and I have been dating since high school. And uh, so one Valentine's Day, I was working at a restaurant called The Trailside. And uh, we were busy on like actual Valentine's Day. Um, I'm not sure what we were doing, but we decided to have Valentine's Day like February 15th. So the restaurant that I worked at had this like fancy uh, Valentine's Day menu and they like had candles everywhere because it was a special day. And like the restaurant was nice enough that people might go to it to celebrate their Valentine's Day. So um, we go to this restaurant. We decided we're going to go February 15th to celebrate our Valentine's Day. And um, we walk in and it was very clear where we were going to sit because I had snuck in beforehand and I had decorated the table with flowers and like balloons and candles and we had access to this fancy menu. It was my shining moment as a boyfriend. Um, we later found out that my boss had to kick out at least two families that tried to sit there. <laughs> like they just walked in and were like, that's my seat. <laughs> they just sat down at this beautiful candle, candle lit flower table. Um, we later found that out, but we got lots of looks when we walked in and lots of like, oh, that's so sweet. Like, why won't you do that for me? <laughs> lots of, <laughs> and, um, and I tell you that story, like besides wanting to brag about how good of a boyfriend I once was, there is a moral to the story. And that is giving is an overflow of love. Generosity is an overflow of of love. The challenge is simple. How can you do more giving? How, how, what are you giving to the church, to Harvest, to Apex? How are you giving to your friends and to your family members? How are you giving to strangers, people you don't know, families that are in need? How are you giving? Because there are countless ways to give. There are countless ways that you can support people and give to them and be generous in this Christmas season. Where's your focus? Are you thinking more about giving, or getting. God has given to us so that we can give to others. He is generous so we can be generous. And this is one, this is what got me, that God kind of sets this system up. And it is true that living a godly life means living a generous life. And I don't like that because <laughs> I like my things. I like to have um, a cushion of money in the bank. I like to hold on to my things, but God is generous so that we can be generous. I'm challenged every year at this time. What, am I, what do I need to be giving? Every year God challenges me. What are you giving? Because he is generous so we can be generous. Living a godly life means living a generous life. Wise folks look up. Wise folks give gifts. And wise folks find joy. Find joy. I've worded that intentionally. The wise men were following a star to find Jesus. And so in verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Another version says they were overjoyed. So joy is one of those words that we talk about in church. It's like one of the fruit of the spirit, but we don't really know what to do with it. We don't really talk a lot about what that really means. And maybe we do, but in terms that are hard to understand. So I'm going to try to break joy down in a way that I am newly understanding joy. And I hope it's inspiring to you as well. So when I think joy, like I get images of Buddy the Elf or like a kid opening a box of Legos, like I, I get this like really exciting, like big thing. And so some people in the room are like, 
that is not joy. I don't have joy then. Because <laughs> some people are just quiet about their emotions. They never have that kind of energy. And that's fine. Um, or maybe you're saying, my life is absolutely miserable. There's nothing to be joyful about. So allow me to explain to you how I draw the distinction between happiness and joy. So happiness is rooted in the word happen. So it stands to reason that for happiness, something has to happen. <laughs> so my happiness comes from something that happens. So for instance, um, you are given a gift that has happened. It causes happiness. Your crush texts you back. And then you get that little butterfly going on, right? Something happens, so you feel happiness. Or um, like you get ungrounded. Oh my goodness. What, what is that? Like when it's early, when you're like, oh, it was going to be a whole month and it was only two weeks. Something has happened and you feel happiness. Joy is different. Joy is a little bit different. Joy is something deeper that happens deeper in you, and it's more spiritual in, and not spiritual in a fluffy way, spiritual in a disciplined kind of way. This is how I understand joy. Joy is, it's actually a part of our Christmas program at church. I mentioned Jingle Jam a little bit earlier. Um, we talk about like a different, like godly moral every year. So every, some, every year there's some like focus where we kind of wrap God around or, or wrap around this Christmas story. So this year it's joy. And we're defining joy this way. Joy is finding a way to be happy even when things don't go your way. And so this is like a, a Christmas family event. So there's going to be kids there. So it's, it's put very simply. Joy is finding a way to be happy even when things don't go your way. Let me say something joy is not. Joy is not delusion. <laughs> joy is not pretending that everything's, are, everything's great, even when it isn't great. But if happiness comes from something happening, joy is something we find ourselves. Joy is something that we have to look for. We have to develop a skill, a discipline of looking for something to be joyous about. Happiness happens to us. Joy is something we find. Happiness happens to us, and joy is something we find. So this word we see in verse 10, where they are filled with joy, they are overjoyed. This is not just happy. This is next-level joy. We're about to see the newborn king born. Like, we're going to see the Messiah. We've seen a hundred, we've seen a thousand babies turn into kings, but we're going to see a king turn into a baby. This is something new. This is a huge deal. The, the wise men recognize that, and they were filled with joy. Most of us in here have probably uh, been to a sporting event or a concert of some kind, or if you haven't, you've probably seen it on TV. And um, you, like, you know what that crowd is like, right? At a sporting event or a concert, um, at a sporting event, you were like singing and chanting with strangers. <laughs> like I go to wrestling events and we're like booing this guy together, like people that I don't know are like, yeah, yeah, this guy does suck. We hate him. And then like at sporting events, you're like cheering on your team, whether, you know, whether you're winning or not, like you are, you're, you're in this energy, this collective energy. I hear in mosh pins, Dave has told me that after all the punching and fighting, that you just hug the same people, <laughs> right? I wouldn't know. Um, I got close once. I was on the edge of a circle pit once, but, um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go in. Um, but I hear <laughs> that after the punching, there's this hugging of strangers. So, so think about that, that group energy, because I think that's what our worship should be more like. Not quite the punching, but the after part, <laughs> after that. <laughs> and not just like physically hugging people, but that same love, that same energy, that same look around, we're all here for the same reason. Look around, we have something to be happy about, something to be joyful about, because because even when the Steelers are losing to the Cleveland Browns on Sunday, 
there are still people cheering and, and, and waving their terrible towels around. But we don't have to worry about that in church. In church, there, the victory is won. We are celebrating after the game. We are running onto the field to celebrate with our team because Jesus wins every time, has won every time. Christmas is a time for celebration and a time to be filled with joy, to find joy because of what God has done. And to remember that Jesus being born is a huge deal. So for some of you, um, 2019 was rough and maybe the, be- the worst year, maybe the best year, maybe the worst year, you've gone through things that you never thought you would have to go through. And, and it's no secret that we all have bad days or months or years because the world is not the way that God designed it to be. God did not intend for any of this, but, but sin happened, bad things happen to all of us. God did not intend for sickness, death, pain, trouble. But that little baby manger Jesus grew up to be a bread-making, wine-making, leper-healing, blind-eye-spitting, Pharisee-dissing, foot-washing, cross-carrying, death-defying, grown-up Jesus. That's the, <laughs> that's the Jesus we put our faith in today. That's what we celebrate, this birth that turned into Jesus on the cross. And it's just a time to remember and focus. At one point in Jesus' journey, he said this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. He didn't say you might have some trouble with your parents. You might forget to do this assignment. You might have, no, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be difficult. (laughs) But take heart because I've overcome the world. Take heart. Take heart is a phrase of action. Take heart is not something that just happens to you. You take heart. That is, a, that is an action phrase like find joy. <laughs> this is something you do. Take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. Even in times when it doesn't feel like it, Jesus has won. Jesus wins and will win every time. So do like the wise folks do. Wise folks, look up. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus even though it's tempting to look everywhere else. Wise folks, give gifts. So spend this time of year and your whole life in generosity because God has been generous so that we can be generous. And wise folks, find joy. Find joy in every circumstance, even when it doesn't feel good, even when it's tough, even when when happiness isn't around. Do the work to find joy because Jesus has the ultimate victory. Take heart, find joy. And when we give our lives to him, we win too. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that we always have joy to find, that we always have our Father to turn to. God, I pray that you help us in this time of year to stay focused where we need to be focused, to remember to look up, to keep our focus on you, to remember to live generously. As you have been generous to us, help us to be generous to the people around us and the people in need that we don't know. And God, help us to find joy even when we can't find happiness. Help us to find joy. Take heart because you have overcome the world. In your name we pray. We love you. We praise you. And I pray you help us to be more like you. In your name we pray. Everybody said amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this Apex Student Podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus.